Amen. Well, hey, good morning. Welcome to Grace City. If I hadn't had a chance to meet yet, my name is David. I'm the teaching pastor here. Thank you so much for being here and being a part of our community this morning. Thank you to Daniel for leading, uh, leading this morning while Rich is out. Uh, if you recognize Daniel's face, it's because uh, he's in some ceasefire commercials and Blue Cross Blue Shield, so he's a man of many talents. Uh, so we appreciate him being here and, and hanging out with us this morning. Hey, today we're going to be in a passage of Scripture that gives one of the most iconic pictures or images of Jesus, if you will. I don't know about you, but whenever I hear someone uh, say Jesus or, 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 or preaching on him or teaching about him, there are images that come to mind. Sometimes it might be Jesus on the cross. Sometimes it might be him with his disciples or, or thinking about him healing uh, the paralytic or, or calming the sea. We have these images of Jesus. And today the text gives us maybe one of the most iconic ones. It's found in Luke chapter chapter 18, uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 15 through 17 is where we're going to see this scene that maybe is what is the first image that comes to your mind. It says this, people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never, will never enter it. This is one of those images, right, that we have of Jesus, that we, we picture him with the children and, and, and them coming to Jesus. It's a picture of, of gentleness, of, of mercy, of compassion that he has as he's interacting with these children. And so, like I said, maybe this is the first picture uh, when you hear Jesus, you're thinking of this image. Now, full disclosure on this text, this is my first time ever preaching this in the life of Jesus, or in my life about the life of Jesus. And the first time ever preaching this text. It's found in three different places, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's, it's given in, in these three different gospels. It's my first time ever preaching it. And it's not because there's any theological reasons. It's really more, I'm a heartless jerk. And at the bottom line, uh, there's a little bit of cynicism around this passage. Um, because here's the deal. So many times when I, I hear this text or, or, or hear sermons on this, it just seems like it's just being painted so sentimental, like Lifetime Channel, Hallmarkish, like there's just Jesus with flowing hair and these children. I don't know. It's just I, y'all, apparently I'm the only one because y'all are looking at me very judgmental looks right now. Um, but I just so like that's kind of been my interaction with this text. Whenever I see it, I just read straight through it, and I don't ever really kind of set in and, and hear what's being taught and, and hear what Christ is commanding us in this passage. Now I, I do want to defend myself just a little bit, or maybe have some clarifications because. Um, uh, well, like there's some cultures that, that think like a, a grown man playing with children is like beneath him, right? Or, or somehow a diminished masculinity or not strong. Uh, that is not why, I ha- why, why I've kind of pushed back again. I'm not pushed back. That's not why I have an issue with the text. I think uh, a grown man, grown woman playing with children is a sign of strength. I think it is an awesome thing to watch. In fact, this past week... Um, uh, these are our church offices, if you don't know, like the actual sanctuary. This is where, where we work uh, during the week. And uh, a, a parent came by with his uh, four or five-year-old kid. And, uh, and I got to talk with a dad. And the whole time I'm talking with him, Matt Briggs, our family pastor, is playing chase with a four-year-old all around the sanctuary. And, uh, and it was one of my proudest moments on staff with Matt because I saw him um, building that relationship, right? He's building that friendship with that child because, you know, play is their love language. And so, like, that kid will know that when he comes back to Grace City that there's people there that will play with with him and that will love him. And so uh, I, I love watching that. I love seeing that. And so many of you are, are volunteers in our family ministry. You know this experience week in, week out, playing with kids and, and having that experience. And so um, that, that's, that's not, what, that, that's not uh, the issue that I have in the text um, because it's, um, 
Again, it's not like every time you encounter Jesus in its text. He doesn't necessarily have to be given like this theological dissertation or he doesn't have to be picking fights with the Pharisees or like calming the storms. Like we don't have to have those to have a passage of scripture that is compelling that teaches us about Jesus. In fact, it's some of the passages that, that shows humanity that I find are some of the most teachable, some of the most gripping passages that we have about Christ that helps us connect with who he is and what it is that he's done and what it is that he's going to do. Like passages that, that let us know that Jesus is tired or he's hungry or, or, or he grieves or he's mourning. These passages that highlight the humanity of, of Christ, they're, they're ones that, that I connect to and that I, I think God uses to help teach us, to help us reveal his character and his nature and his attributes. And I, think this is, I do think this passage with Jesus and the children is one of the passages that, that gives us such a strong insight into the humanity of Christ because the children feel comfortable going to Jesus, right? Like he's not detached He's not distant. He's not removed. He's not all like, oh, you have to do this and this before you come. No, they just, they see Jesus and they want to get to him. And I think it shows the humanity of Christ and that even the children felt or knew that they would be welcomed into his presence. Now, to be sure, the disciples kind of stiff arm, right? The disciples kind of fall prey to some of those temptations. They go, oh, no, he is separate and try to keep, keep the children away. But no, Jesus rebukes them and says, let them come to me. And I think it gives us an insight and in that the children felt comfortable to be able to come into the presence of Jesus. I, I think kind of my, what my sinful issue with this text had been, uh, like my personal sin <laughs> while just bypassing this text, is because so often I let kind of this sentimental sappiness um, trivialize the verses. And I, please hear me, like I don't think this passage is sentimental or sappy. Can, like, can I, it's just my personal I'm in a hole. Let's get out of it. Um, so, so, but it's, it's one of those deals where um, I let all that trivialize what's in it. And I let all that make me miss really the, the, the challenging and convicting command that Jesus gives in this text. That to receive the kingdom of God, we are to receive it like a child. That we are to receive the kingdom of God like a child would receive a gift. And so when you begin to see that command and hear that command and really press into it, you, be, you have to start to do some work, right? Or how does a child receive something? If, uh, how, how can we receive the kingdom of God like a child receives a gift? And I, I think there are a couple of attributes that you see when a child receives a gift. One, I think there's humility. And that, and not, uh, not that they're thinking less of themselves, but in that moment, they're not thinking about themselves at all, right? They're thinking about the gift or they're thinking about the gift giver. And then so they're kind of removing themselves from the equation. So I think there's some, humility in the way their child receives a gift. I also think there's some faith and dependence in that when a, when a gift is given, that child is thinking it's going to be awesome, right? They're thinking it's going to be good. They, the, the gift giver, they know the, the person loves them, they care for them, so this gift is going to be a blessing, it's going to be good. And so there's faith and dependence that this gift is going to be something that is, is for their good, that they'll uh, enjoy, that, they'll, uh, that will, will you know, satisfy them in some way or another. And so when a child receives a gift, like there's there's no suspicion, right? There, there's, there's no pretense. There's no ulterior motives other than just both enjoying the gift and the gift giver. So Jesus is using this interaction with the children to help us learn and see about how we can receive the kingdom of God and, and humility and faith and dependence. And you could probably put some other descriptives on there for how a child receives a gift. 
Now, I am looking at a bunch, at some parents like Kelly referenced earlier, and, and you might be like, yes, there are some other adjectives that I could put on there for how children receive gifts, <laughs> because I know when I've given my kid a gift, it was not a good experience, right? Like, they you know, lashed out at me a little bit, and maybe there's a little, like, a little bit of, of sin nature coming out of them and their expression back towards me. And so, uh, let, me, let me say this, all right? Jesus is using a metaphor, and anytime we use metaphors, if we dwell on them long enough, there could be some questions that pop up. And so, like, uh, again, how does, you know, not every child receives a gift the same way. And so I heard a pastor uh, speak to this tension or speak to that tension like this. Christ is calling us to be childlike and, and receiving the gift of the kingdom of God, not childish. And, and I think there's a difference there. I think a, a childish reaction might be one of immaturity, uh, might be one of, of that selfishness or, or kind of a, 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 sin, uh, a sin nature expressed. Uh, but childlike is, is humility, it's trust, it's dependence, it's faith uh, in the goodness of the gift and the goodness of the gift giver. So if you're a parent and you're struggling with this, just remember that childish versus childlike, or maybe not a parent, because I know we've got lots of folks in here that are in all different seasons of life. This is a text that speaks to us wherever we are, whatever situation we are in. Uh, because it's a command that Christ has given to us that we can't overlook, that we need to see how hopeful, how reassuring, how compelling of a command it is uh, that we have been offered the kingdom of God in and through Christ, and we are to receive it as a child receives a gift. Now, Luke, uh, as I said earlier, this account is, is in Matthew and Mark's gospel, and it's, it's found in Luke's gospel as well. And he, uh, and as he's uh, writing his gospel as he's giving this to us, he puts this uh, surrounded by two different stories. And I believe uh, the story in front and the story that follows this uh, interaction with Jesus, both of these stories illustrate this principle to some degree or another. And, and so I think it really kind of gives us an example of what does it look like uh, to receive the kingdom of God as a child, or really maybe kind of the opposite. How do we not, uh, how do you, um, well, we're going to see good examples and bad examples in these two stories. So let's go to the first one. Luke 18, verse 9 is where we're going to pick it up. This is a parable. So it's a story that Jesus is telling. Uh, it's the parable of the Pharisee and the publican, or the Pharisee and the tax collector. Uh, now, again, it's a, it's a story Jesus is telling. Uh, so it, and with it being a parable, it's a made-up story, but most believe that Jesus has probably watched some type of this event unfold, and now he's just kind of retelling it uh, or, or, or giving it as an illustration to a crowd. And it is a loaded parable. Uh, it, is, it is taken aim at those who are convinced of their own self-righteousness, taken aim of those that believe they have earned the kingdom of God on their own uh, uh, because of their own merit. And so it's aimed at those people that are blinded to the true state of their sin and, and really ignorant of how the kingdom of God works. And, and look at how Jesus, uh, look at how this begins. Verse 9, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. Okay, that right there should let you know we're in for it, right? Like that is quite a lead into a parable uh, that with that verse, right? And let me say this about this parable. This would be comical if it wasn't sad. Like it's, it's almost, it's so over the top in some places, but it does have a sobering truth in it. Verse 10, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I, th I, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. Like, that's the comedy to me, okay? This guy goes to worship, so he's supposed to be focusing on God, God's might, God's power, God's holiness, and what's his prayer? It's all about himself. It's all about him looking literally at the people on the pews next to him and saying, I oh, thank you. I am not like robbers, evildoers, adulterers. Thank you I'm not like tax collectors. Thank you I'm not like Bill, 
See the tax collector? I think I'm glad I'm not like Bill. I mean, what a loser. Have you seen what Bill has done? Like, what a waste of space. I am so glad I am not like Bill. I mean, that's, that's his prayer. Like, that's what, I mean, he's, he's sitting down. I think I'm not like that tax collector. And he, he just, you know, he's, I thank you so much. I'm not like him. The guy's just drunk on his own self-righteousness. And, and to get to that point, right, to get drunk off his own self-righteousness, what's he doing? He's comparing his highlight reel to everybody else's failures, specifically to Bill, the tax collector. I don't know why it's Bill, but specifically to him, right? He's, he's, he's comparing his highlights to all his failures, to all of his shortcomings. And what we're seeing in this, uh, I would say this is, I would say that's more a game that adults play than children, because especially if, if a gift is involved. And like, again, children, they they're, they're just get lost in the sense of the gift and in the gift giver and in the goodness of it. But I, I think adults, especially when what lies behind it is this belief that there's a limited amount of good. If there's a limited amount of grace, if there's a limited amount of love that's going to be given, adults begin to play this comparison game to where they're trying to push themselves to the front and push everybody else down. I thank you, I'm not like these evildoers, robbers, adulterers. Thank you, I'm not like him. And so it's pushing them down to try to push to the forefront because there's only a limited amount of good. There's only a limited amount of love. There's only a limited amount of grace that God can give. It reveals this childish game that so many adults play. And so, like, again, it would be comical if it wasn't so sad and depressing because the Pharisees completely missed it. That God is generous and he delights in giving grace and mercy and hope and renewal to any and to all who will come to him for it. And he, he completely misses it. And the whole while, and the whole time he's missing it, he's throwing the tax collector under the bus. Uh, but look at how the tax collector re- re- responds. Verse 13, But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He can't even look up to God. He's he's aware of his sin. He's aware of his shortcomings. He doesn't need the Pharisee to point it out. Like he knows his sin. He knows the true state of his own soul. Once more, he also knows the the measure of grace that God's prepared to give. And so he's he's asking, he's pleading. Lord, he's, he's eagerly putting himself in position to receive the gift that God delights to give. Have mercy on me, a sinner. We see in this that the Pharisee views the gift of the, uh, of the kingdom of God. He views the gift of the kingdom of God about, uh, through the lens of his worthiness to receive the gift. Whereas for the tax collector, the gift of the kingdom of God was about the mercy and the grace of God and God's desire and ability to give both of those. And so that's how the, the tax collector responds, eager to receive Asking, begging, have mercy on me. Just wanting to receive in humility and faith and dependence these things that God is eager to give. And we see that Jesus replies and lets them know this is, uh, it's the tax collector who stands justified before God. Look at verse 14. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. One was childish in selfishness and arrogance. One was childlike in their humility to receive the goodness that God desired to give. 
And so we have that interaction, we have that parable, we have that story that Christ tells, and then, and then it's followed with Luke telling us about uh, Christ and this interaction with the children, and anyone who would receive the kingdom of God will or re- receive it like a child, or they will not enter into it. And so then that teaching happens. Then we're given another story, and this one is not a parable. This is a, an interaction that happens with Jesus, but again, it teaches us so much about Christ, the hope of his kingdom, and, and really how to respond, how to receive it into our life. And this next story that we have in Luke's gospel, is the story of the rich young ruler. So let's pick it back up in verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. Okay, we can, we, we can stop there because there's plenty to unpack out of this. Um, so uh, this is also given in two other Gospels. And from the other Gospels, we know that he's uh, rich, we know that he's young, and that he is a ruler. And so that's why it gets the, the, the title, The Rich Young Ruler. And he is made out to be kind of a, a bad example in, in a lot of different ways. And that's true. We're going to see it here. I'm not, 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 not trying to change that narrative there. But I do believe we need to give credit where credit is due. And this is one who's he's, he's genuinely interested in what Jesus has to say. He's not trying to trap him in some sort of heresy. He's not trying to make Jesus out to, to, to be some sort of false teacher, false prophet. He's not trying to, tra- trying to trap him in something heretical. He genuinely wants to learn from Jesus a- about eternal life. And so I, I do think there's some humility displayed that he's willing to go and ask this question of Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so, uh, again, I want to give credit where credit is due to, to this man. But Jesus' response is... Uh, um, a little bit peculiar in that the first, first measure or the first way that he responds is, hey, why do you call me good? No one's good except for God alone. He doesn't even pick up the question, but he, he replies, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. This is a, a question that to be sure is a loaded question because it's already starting to help call the rich young ruler to faith. Because again, if he says you are good, he's basically beginning to see that Jesus is God. If he doesn't believe that he's good or that he's God, then he's gonna see Jesus as just a teacher or just a rabbi. And so when Jesus says, wait, 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 why do you call me good? It's already, hey, what do you believe about me? What, what, what path are you on here? Are you, are you coming to see me? as God in the flesh, or he's still seeing me as, as just a teacher, as just a rabbi. And the consequences of that are big, right? Like if, he, if he's starting to see him as God, then Jesus' response, it's not just a suggestion, right? It's a th- an authoritative command that Jesus, as God in the flesh, is giving to this man to follow. If he doesn't see him as that, he sees him as just a teacher or rabbi, then it's just a suggestion, and he could take it and discard it and, and go away. So this question is already a bit of a check to kind of call this man back, uh, really, it's, it's, to, it's already a, a question to start to call the man to faith to see uh, that Jesus is in fact God in the flesh standing in front of him. So why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. And then Jesus lists out these five, five of ten commandments. And, um, and the, I'll, just, I'll just hit on two of them, although we could walk through all five. Like two of the commandments, like, uh, you know, don't lie and uh, honor your father and mother. This man said he's kept all of them since he was a boy. So like, so really, he's never shaded the truth once as an adult, right? He's perfectly honored his, his, his mom and dad his entire life, even since he was a boy. So like, 
just the small listing of five, right? I mean, and again, we could take those through the Sermon on the Mount, how Jesus talks about if there's hate in our heart, you know, that, that, that puts us on the path to murder. And so like it shows how all of us have sin in our life. But after this first five commandments, the proper response should have been him saying some sort of, hey, it's impossible to perfectly keep those. But no, he says, I've kept all these since I was a boy. And we, we see a couple things here. Maybe, maybe this is his expression of pride. And I do think this is part of it. This is some pride is starting to reveal some self-righteousness in him. Hey, I really have done this. I, I think it could also just be revealing some self-deception. That he's being dishonest with himself about a sin. That he's being dishonest with himself really even about how the kingdom of God works. And so it just shows, shows to us that, that, hey, this guy's, he's really, he's, he's confused. In a lot of different ways, he's confused. And even his question lets us know. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You, you receive an inheritance. You don't do anything for it. And so even his, his questions are, are, are showing us his confusion and his question. And we're going to see in a moment his response definitely starts to reveal a lack of faith in who Jesus is and, and a desire ultimately for God to work on his terms. Uh, because even this, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's like, okay, this has got to work the way that I think it's going to work. And so it, there's this desire for God to work on his terms. And so what is that? That's a refusal to depend on the goodness of God for, to meet his need for his eternal life. It's a refusal of faith. It's a refusal of dependence. And so Jesus is going to help reveal all of that to this man by really throwing down a gauntlet of a challenge. Um, he puts a, a question in front of this rich young ruler that would, or a command, not a question. He puts a command before this rich young ruler uh, that will reveal to this man um, really what it is that he loves the most and start to reveal some of the deception that he has in his own life. Verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of God. And so we see the rich young ruler loves his wealth. He loves his wealth, he loves his materialism more than anything else. And so when he gets this command, he, he turns away. He says no. Now, was he greedy? Maybe. Is he materialistic? Sure. I don't know. Uh, I mean, yes. I mean, all this, he's, he's love, as Scripture says, he loves his wealth. I do know this, though, that wealth in that age, just like it does in, in today's culture, wealth, wealth can, to some degree, buy you a sense of independence and buy a sense of self-reliance. And so when he, if he is to follow this command and, and give up all this for the poor, it is going to force him to be in a position to depend on the provision of God. It will force him to rely on the faithfulness and the goodness of God. And all that is just too much for him. It's just too much for him. He says no, and he walks away. He's, he's humble enough to ask these questions of Jesus but I think his pride is still evident and that he's holding on to a sense of self-righteousness. Again, it's not the self-righteousness of the Pharisee that, that you know, threw the tax collector under the bus, but it's still visible. Hey, I've kept all the commandments. He doesn't believe that Jesus is God and that there's no faith in who Jesus is. So there's no trust that this command of Jesus is for his good. There, there, there's no trust that he can truly depend on the goodness of the gift of Christ to sustain him. And so he's not depending on the goodness of the gift giver either. And so he's just, he's refusing at every turn 
to receive the wisdom and the insight and the gift of the kingdom of God that, that Christ is helping him to see, helping to lead him to. There's no response of childlike faith. And he doesn't receive the kingdom of God into his life. And so we see from the, the story, the perspective of the, of the rich young ruler, this story is over. But it, it keeps going because Jesus has really just dropped a theological bomb. Uh, he he's said, you know, that it's, it's uh, uh, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In this culture, the rich were considered especially blessed or especially f- favored. And so if, if, they are, if it's hard for them to get in the kingdom of God, then what hope do we have? Look at how the, the crowd responds. Verse 26. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left, we have left all that we had to follow you. And so we see Jesus, like they, have, they voice this question, you know, basically what, what hope do we have? And Jesus says, what's impossible for man is possible for God. It's, it's all dependent on the work of God, right? And God's the one that pursues, convicts, and redeems the hearts of God's people, both rich and poor alike. Uh, who are trusting in him, uh, right, with humility and faith and dependence, who are trusting in him with that childlike faith to receive the gift of the kingdom of God into their life. So uh, it's, it's not impossible for God for this to happen. And so he has that teaching to, to, to draw them back to really the sovereignty of God and all of it. But then Peter spoke up, right? Peter says, we left everything to follow you. And Peter, uh, like, this is an interesting response to me. And I, to be honest, I, I can't. I asked the first service this, and I'll ask you this too. You can give me your opinions after it's over. Is Peter's response childish or childlike? Uh, they're, they're, like the childish part of it is like, okay, uh, you know, he's, he's connecting the dots. He's seeing how much he's given up to follow Christ. No, I mean, they, they've left it all. They left their work. They're following Jesus. They've left everything in humility and faith, dependence on Christ. So they've given up all that. And now he's like, okay, we've given this. What, you know, what do we get in return? They could be asking this out of selfishness. They could be asking this out of self-centeredness. So they, it could be a childish response. Uh, but on the flip side, I, I do see where it could also be childlike in that, hey, I know the generosity of our Heavenly Father. And, and, and I know He desires to give. And I know He desires to bless. And so in some ways, this question could almost be similar to like, you know, when the parents come home from the trip and the kid's like, hey, mom and dad, what'd you bring me? Like there's that, that expectation. I know, there's, I know there's love that's gonna be expressed. I know that there's blessing that's gonna be express, expressed in it. And so Peter's like, hey, we've left everything to follow you. And, and it carries this expectation of, of, of what... Or how is God going to respond? How is God going to bless? And Jesus meets him in this question, right? And the way that, that Jesus replies to him, he replies to him by reminding him of all the blessings and all the benefits that come with being a part of the family of God. And if you were with us last week, Jesus' response is basically a summary of, of last week's sermon. Verse 29, Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. You know, last week we looked at, we've been adopted into the family of God. And do we know the blessings and the benefits that come with, being, with, with that being the true state of our life or our soul or our relationship to the Lord? It means we have God as our father, Jesus as our brother, Every Christian, a brother and sister, and the kingdom of God is our home, that we are co-heirs with Christ. These are all the blessings that come with being a part of the family of God. And if we are to experience these as his children, then we are to receive the gift of the kingdom of God like a child in humility, faith, and dependence.
And so what do we do with all this, right? What, what's, what's the action point for us? What's our response to Jesus and the children, to the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector and even the rich young ruler? How do we respond to this? How does this, uh, how does this either call us to faith or call us to, to deepen our relationship with him? I, I think one, and this isn't the full measure of all of the way to respond, but I think one thing is we need to understand is that this can help us refuse the temptation uh, to make starting in faith or growing in faith, this can help refuse the temptation to make it more difficult uh, than necessary. At the core of our faith, we're receiving a gift. We're receiving a gift that God desires to give. And we're to receive the gift as, as, as a child in humility and faith and dependence. And, and I think when we, when, we, when we understand this, when we respond to this, that we're receiving a gift that God desires to give, I mean, yes, that drives out the need for comparison, right? It drives out the need for comparison because it's not based on our goodness. We don't need to run others into the ground to make ourselves look good. You don't have to keep up with the Christian next door, okay? We, 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 don't, we don't have to play the part of the Pharisee who played that game so well, he deceived himself and lost sight of the mercy and the grace and the generosity of God. And so, yes, I think this, th- this text can help us refuse to make this more difficult uh, than, than, it, than it actually is. We're receiving a gift, and I, I do. I think this fosters a sense of humility in us. I, I think it fosters a sense of faith and dependence in that, okay, if we are receiving a gift, then we're dependent on, on the gift giver, right? We're dependent on Christ and what he's done on our behalf to make a way for the forgiveness of sins and for his righteousness to be given to us. And so it's, it's not up to what we must do for this on our behalf. Half. It's responding in faith and trust in who he is and what he's done. And this helps us fight back against having maybe the response of the Pharisee. It helps us fight back against having the response of the rich young ruler and perhaps can help us truly have this response of the child and, and, and coming to Christ in faith, humility, and trust. Maybe the, maybe the one one sentence synopsis of what do we do with this that I would give to all of us is this. Allow these teachings to draw you close to Jesus. Allow these teachings to draw you close to Jesus. And I know that's vague and intangible, but here's the, like the disciples, they try to keep the children from Jesus, right? The Pharisee tries to keep the tax collector, tries to distance the tax collector. The rich young ruler distanced himself. Okay, maybe somewhere along the way, someone has judged or shamed you and said, you don't get to come. You need to keep your distance. Maybe you're your own critic. Maybe you see your sin and your insecurities and your shortcomings, and, and, and you're thinking, that's God's response to me, so you are keeping yourself distance, distant. Maybe you're thinking, God has to come to you on your terms, that he has to work according to, to your plans. Okay, let this teaching draw you close to Jesus. So that means let this teaching silence the critics. You can come to him. You can go to him. All right, let, let this teaching remove the obstacles and let this teaching show the joy of coming to him on his terms and, and not your own. That's the way that you experience the love and the blessing and the hope and the joy of the kingdom of God. It's the way that you, with childlike faith, experience the blessings of being part of God's family. And so let these words of Christ, let these, the parables and the stories, let the, the truths of scripture draw us closer to him. And in humility and faith and dependence, show ourselves a child of God and receive the gift of God's kingdom.
Let me pray for us. God, we love you, and we thank you for your invitation. Uh, we, we thank you for the, the invitation that you've given to be a part of your family and for the gift that you eagerly desire to give. And God, I pray that we would uh, know that, that you call us to simply just receive it in humility and faith and trust and to depend on the work that you have done on our behalf. And so, God, I, I pray that... Uh, the truths of your word would do those very things. God would help us silence the critics, whether they be uh, from the world that might condemn us, whether it be the critic between our own ears, God, um, and that we would remove whatever obstacle and know that, um, that the invitation is still there. You're still saying, let the children come to me. And God, we can go to you as God our Father and know the blessing and the benefit of being adopted into your family. God, we love you. We are grateful for these truths. We are grateful for the hope that they lead us to. God, may we be changed because of them. It's in your name that we pray.